covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we are going to be talking all things Milwaukee Brewers for the next hour or so. As always, uh, let's get a couple housekeeping items out of the way at the top of the podcast if you need to get in contact with me. Best way to do so via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be very, very, very much appreciated. On the program this week, we do have a couple featured guests. We are going to be joined by Tim Muma from Brew Crew Ball. He's going to join us in just a few minutes. And then we are going to be joined by uh, Greg Young later on in the hour. He is the broadcast voice for the Carolina Mudcats, the high affiliate of the Brewers. So that's all coming up here on uh, the program. want to open up this week talking about pitching a bit. And there are some good things happening from a pitching perspective from the Brewers. But there's also some not-so-good things happening from a pitching perspective. Now, we've started to see some changes uh, with Corbin Burns being sent down from a starting standpoint, Freddie Peralta is uh, on the injured list. You wonder if um, if he was going to be able to keep that spot in the rotation with the way he was pitching and the inconsistencies that he was showing. Uh, we're continuing to see inconsistencies out of the bullpen. Uh, you have Josh Hader, who's done a really nice job. I think Junior Guerra has done a nice job. Uh, there's other individuals. I know Alex Claudio has struggled a little bit of late, but for the most part, he's been okay. Matt Albers has done, a, a, for the most part, a nice job. He's had a game here, a game there uh, that has not gone especially well. But I guess the the main word that I would use right now is inconsistent when you're talking about Brewers pitching. And I think that applies to starting and relief pitching. Uh, And across the board, even Josh Hader, who's been incredible, went through a little bit of a streak this past week where he was giving up home run balls. And there just is a lot of inconsistencies right now with Brewers pitching. I don't really know, and I don't think anybody really knows how good this pitching staff is or how not good this pitching staff is. But I think one thing we do know is that the organization is going to do what they need to do to be able to make the staff better. And we saw the first domino this past week. They brought in Gio Gonzalez. I'm not trying to portray Gonzalez as a, as a savior, but he's somebody who's going to battle. He's somebody who's a veteran. He's somebody who, you know, he hadn't pitched in a couple weeks, and he pitched on Sunday, and he was able to battle his way through five innings, giving up two runs. And if if that's the worst you are going to get from Gio Gonzalez, then he's going to help out this rotation and just being a veteran guy. Right now they need guys who can eat innings. You want more than five innings, but for a first time out, for a guy who hadn't pitched as long as he had pitched and a guy who had not pitched in the big leagues all season long, five innings as a start – you'll take it. Let him get stretched out a little bit more and move forward. There was a lot of talk in the offseason about could the Brewers employ their pitching philosophy the way they went in the postseason last year and in the month of September last year throughout the season. And I never thought that was sustainable because you have a 25-man roster and you don't have a lot of off days uh, in the regular season. You were able to do that once the rosters expanded. You were able to do that when you had more off days. But when you're in the grind of a 162-game season and you're in April, May, June, July, August, it's it's a lot tougher to be able to do that. And I, know, I don't think the Brewers ever planned to. I guess the point I'm trying to make at this point is we're seeing starting pitchers not go deep into games and we're seeing the trickle-down impact of that. The way to have a really, really good bullpen is to have starting pitchers that go deep into game. I've said this a lot recently. I feel like you know I've got these adages when it my my baseball adages that I believe in, and I repeat them over and over and over. And this is one that I feel like I've been saying way too often recently, but it continues to be to apply to what's going on. Every single time the bullpen door opens, it's a gamble. You are risking that every single time a new pitcher comes in, that that pitcher is going to have a bad day. And that can, it can happen to anybody. Every pitcher has bad days. And so if, if your starter only goes four innings and all of a sudden you got to use four or five relief pitchers, every single time that door opens, you don't know what you're going to get out of that guy that day. So the, the least amount of times you can open up that door, I think the better off you are. I say all that 
to get to my point here at the top of the podcast. We saw them sign Gio Gonzalez this week. There was clearly a need in the starting rotation. An opportunity became available for them to go get Gio. We'll see what that how that plays out. We'll see what he does with the team and, and how good he looks and uh, you know what's going to happen when uh, Freddie Peralta is able to uh, come back off the injured list. What's going to happen when uh, Corbin Burns gets back going. He's going to be back starting at the major leagues at some point this year. There's going to be some other things that, that kind of have to fall into place. So we don't really know what Gio Gonzalez is going to look like for this team and what role he's going to be and, and if he's going to stay in the rotation. and we, we, just, we don't know any of those things at this point in time. But what we do know is there was a need for a guy in the rotation who could eat some innings, and they probably needed some veteran leadership in there. They went young in the rotation this year, and it didn't work out here over the first couple weeks the way they would have liked it to work out. Or first couple weeks, first month. Uh, so, so they did say about it. So you pl- you apply that standard to the bullpen. You know, I, I get the frustration. I I totally understand the frustration. And watching Sunday's game is uh, another great example of why people are frustrated with the bullpen. Offensively, the Brewers were not having a very good day, but Mike Moustakis hits a home run. He ties the game up, and immediately what happens is the bullpen can't hold it. Now, to be fair, there was an error that was made uh, that really, really hurt. And if that error is not made, I think that ends up looking like a different baseball game. At the very least, that is a very different looking inning because you have two outs, nobody on, as opposed to runner on at second and one out. So everything at that point looks incredibly different. Uh, But the point being, right now, the bullpen is inconsistent. I'm going to use that word. That's probably not going to be the last time I use that in this podcast today. There are a lot of inconsistencies right now with the relief pitching. And we have seen the Brewers, and we've, especially since David Stearns has been the general manager, if this team needs to make additions, if this team needs to make improvements, they're going to do it. Now, they're going to do it in a smart, intelligent way where they're not going to basically, let's, let's talk Craig Kimbrell because he's the name that everybody brings up. They're not going to overspend on Kimbrel. They're not going to give him all these years and all this money just because they're panicking. They're not going to make a panic move. But if there's this feeling that they do need to improve the bullpen, there's arms available. We're not that far out from some of the worst teams in baseball all of a sudden saying, okay, we can start selling off some of our guys. That's I know we're still early on in the season, but that those sort of things, it doesn't take long for those sort of things to really start happening. And we've seen David Stearns acquire some pretty solid bullpen pitching via trade over the last few years, whether it's a, a Joaquin Soria, Xavier Cedeno, Anthony Swarzak. Guys like those have come in via trades. And I, I think that if the bullpen continues on the same path it's on right now, a path of inconsistency, they're going to end up making some moves. I'm not saying they're going to sign Craig Kimbrell. I still, I'm not saying it's impossible that they make that move, but I don't expect it to happen. That's not the move that I'm expecting. Uh, would I be absolutely shocked, you know, knock, knock the socks off of me, shocked if they went and signed him? No, but it's, I'm just not expecting it. That would be a little bit surprising. I am expecting them at some point in time to stabilize the bullpen by acquiring a veteran arm or two that can help out this current group. And I don't know when that's going to happen. And look, guys who are down there right now, they've got an opportunity to go pitch themselves and try to lift their game and pitch to a level where they remain parts of the bullpen. But we're far enough now into the season that – kind of who you are, it's it starts to be real. I'm not going to be talking about small sample size anymore. It's a pretty legit thing. So that's kind of what I want to talk about here at the top of the program today. Again, coming up, we'll have uh, Tim Muma in just a few moments from Brew Crew Ball. We'll be joined by Greg Young from the Carolina Mudcats later on in the hour. But right now, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of a summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Bit of a scary situation. Maybe scary is too strong of a word, but in terms of the Brewers being competitive and the Brewers winning games, the guy who is most important to that happening is Christian Yelich. He tweaked his back 
in Sunday's game against the Mets. He was taking off for first base, and something just kind of grabbed or pulled on him. He came out of the game. I'm recording this on Sunday night. The last thing we heard from manager Craig Council was that they would probably keep him out of the game on Monday against the Rockies and reevaluate him uh, on Monday. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, you might already know more about the situation that I'm telling you right now. But the biggest news of the past week was Christian Yelich got a little bit banged up. Jeremy Jeffers, he is still uh, trying to kind of put everything together. And the biggest issue right now for Jeffers appears to be his uh, velocity. There was a piece at MLB.com this past week that uh, chronicled where he was at uh, in terms of velocity. On Saturday night, uh, he was not especially effective, and he was averaging less than 92 miles per hour on his fastball. In fact, he's had an average fastball velocity below 93 in all but one of his outings so far this year. Manager Craig Council was asked about that in his uh, in one of his post-game press conferences uh, this past week and talked about the fact that at this point they're not so much worried about health, they're more worried about uh, his mechanics, seeing if they can't uh, get uh, an extra tick or two there on the radar gun by fixing some mechanical issues. So that's where we're at right now with uh, Jeremy Jeffers. Going back to Yelich for a moment, uh, he made some history this past week, hitting home run number 14, and with that, he has tied Albert Pujols in 2006 and Alex Rodriguez in 2007 for the most home runs before May 1st in a single season in Major League history. Here's the big bummer on this. Yelich is banged up. He's not going to play on Monday. Who knows? He could be out for a few days. They don't think he's going to go on the injured list, but it's going to be May 1st before we know it, so he might not even get the opportunity now to uh, try to break that record. In our opening segment, we talked about Gio Gonzalez. He signed a contract this week. He had been with the Yankees. He had an opt-out in his Yankees because uh, he was at AAA. He had signed a minor league deal, but he had an opt-out in his minor league deal where if they did not add him to the Major League roster, he was able to leave. He uh, took the opt-out, and the Yankees did not add him. He reportedly had offers from both the Brewers and the Mets. The Brewers guaranteed him a spot in the rotation. The Mets did not. He's comfortable with the Brewers. He signs with the Brewers. $2 million, that's his base salary, and then he can get $2 million more in incentives. The incentive program is based upon a point system. He gets points for appearances. He also gets points for appearances that last a certain amount of innings. So uh, that's that's how he can make maybe uh, a couple million dollars more. As far as those pitchers go that are not with the big league club right now, that will be or have been, especially in the starting rotation, Freddie Peralta on the injured list Saturday at AA Biloxi. He throws four and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs on four hits. He had seven strikeouts and one walk. Corbin Burns, who is at uh, AAA San Antonio, he's not injured. He's there there. He has appeared in two games so far, pitching uh, two starts, seven and two-thirds innings. So you'd like to see the innings pitched a little bit higher in two starts. Uh, But he hasn't given up uh, an earned run. Four hits, ten strikeouts, four walks. The only issue there, his pitch count seemed to be a little bit high. Jimmy Nelson was scheduled to make a start on Sunday at AAA San Antonio. However, his wife uh, went into labor. Uh, There's been some previous medical complications, and uh, she had been uh, pregnant with twins, and the twins came early. Uh, They weigh 3 pounds, 10 ounces, according to a post that Jimmy Nelson had on uh, social media. Seems like things are going well, but certainly uh, you can uh, think about Nelson and his uh, wife and and their entire family now. Keep them in your thoughts as they uh, deal with that. And when Nelson might actually pitch at this point in time, that's up in the air. Clearly, some things are more important than baseball. That would be in that category. So that has been placed off to uh, the side. So we'll see when we have another update on Jimmy Nelson moving forward. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Inch, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It's time for our social media conversation. We bring in Brew Crew Balls, Tim Muma. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. That's how you spell his uh, last name. He is a very, very busy guy around this time of the year, and we're glad he's got some time for us. Tim, appreciate it. How are you? 
I'm doing well, Matt. I uh, always love being out with you, so I appreciate the time. Hey, let's uh, let's start with pitching. That's kind of been uh, one of the themes of this podcast uh, so far, and it's been it's been inconsistent this year. There's been some good things. There's been some not so good things. Uh, we saw the team sign Gio Gonzalez. He looked uh, he looked fine on Sunday. Five innings, two mm-hmm. runs. If he can extend out a little bit and stretch out and start giving closer to six innings consistently, he would all of a sudden be one of the top pitchers in the rotation. But where where do you stand right now just with this club's pitching? I'm not just talking starting, not just talking bullpen, but it, it's been so inconsistent right now. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, obviously everybody has seen that, as you said, the ups and downs to it. Uh, you see some potential, and then all of a sudden it seems like a guy gets blown up. I think there are a couple things in play. One, I do think Craig Council needs to sort of get out of the, the mindset that he was, especially at the end of last year, of quickly rushing to the bullpen. Obviously there are times to do that. There are times when a guy looks like he's losing it, maybe it's the third time through the order. But I think a good example of, where he should have went with his starter a little longer would have been yesterday with Woodruff, where they've got a five-run lead. He's you know he's pitching well. He's only at 87 pitches and goes to Garrett right away, which Garrett is fine. And obviously he did well. He went through the his one inning. That's like a time like okay, we gotta use our starters a little more. We gotta rest our bullpen. We don't have a lockdown bullpen anymore. We we have to make sure we stretch these guys out a bit. And I do recall him early. Well, it was in, I think it was in spring training where he said, you know, it's not going to be the same. We have to get more innings from our starters. So it seems like maybe he's even struggling a bit with the transition of, of not having that lockdown bullpen that they've had in the past. And then the other thing, I do think the schedule. I know people don't like to hear it. They think it's an excuse. But, you know, facing the Cubs, the Cardinals so many times, the Dodgers in two series, and all, you know, essentially back-to-back, that's going to take a toll on a pitching staff, especially playing them again in, in successive series and, and trying to take those teams down. I mean, those are some of the best offenses in the league, probably all top five, maybe even top three. And obviously Burns had his trouble. Woodruff, you know, was, was up and down again like we talked about. Um, then you get into the bullpen there having their struggle. So I think there are a number of factors that play there. I think everybody realized, or at least they should have known, that there was going to be some growing pains, especially with the young arms. Then you throw in the injuries to the bullpen. Hater has a couple of, you know, iffy outings. And all that sort of added up to where we're at as far as concern over the pitching staff. With that said, there's still a game over 500, and there's a long way to go in the season where you're not going to be facing all these teams that have, you know, ridiculously good offenses. So I think there's still plenty to be positive about. Uh, it'll just be interesting when you start getting guys like Nelson, if he gets to a spot where he can be, uh, you know, brought up to the big leagues. Peralta coming back from his injury, if Burns does figure it out. Uh, they're going to have to probably play around a little bit more of having some guys in the bullpen and, and then deciding who might get stashed at AAA. I want to go back to the Woodruff thing, and I know you were just using Woodruff as as an example, and it's not uh, th- there's more situations than just that. But I'll play devil's advocate with you a little here because something I I do think Craig Council does a really good job, and I think one of his best strengths as a manager is when there is a guy who needs to have a good day a guy who mm-hmm. needs to walk off the mound, walk off the field for the final time that day, feeling good about himself. I feel like Council's really good at knowing how to make that happen. So ba- the the situation with Woodruff, the, the reason he did that in my mind is Woodruff needed a good day. Woodruff needed to make sure that he's coming out of that game feeling good about himself. So he got him out at that point to essentially guarantee that that you get that feeling. Now, when you're talking about, I don't think he does that with a Yulee Chassin. I don't think he does that with a Zach sure. Davies. That there's there's in that exact same situation talking about some other pitchers. It's different. So again, we're we're trying to talk in generality about a you know an actual singular event, which is kind of tough to do. But how do you sort of uh, weigh out the the pros and cons of trying to make sure that you got a guy have a good day versus trying to extend that pitcher out to maybe get another inning or so. And that's a fair point. I mean, just again, like you said, we don't necessarily know the long term or, or the, the potential positives that could come from that. If that was council's thinking and, and you're right, managers have done that, you know, throughout the course of time and council being one of those as well. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, it's tough to, to really get in that mindset and understand what, what that plan might be. Uh, I think, you know, for him, if he thinks, look, we need Woodruff, if this is going to get him going, it's going to get him on a roll, in the long run it's going to save our bullpen, in the long run it's better for our team, 
I get that. That's fair. That's a, that's a fair, uh, you know, argument. And to your point, maybe he doesn't do it with a, a more veteran guy or somebody who's been in the rotation more often. Um, I guess the, the challenge of that is at what cost is it? Because then you do go to the bullpen. And again, in this case, Garrett pitches one inning, which that was interesting too. You thought maybe he would go a couple innings, but maybe because he had some time off, they didn't want to do that. Uh, and then you kind of get yourself into some trouble because the, the underbelly of that bullpen was struggling again. And now you're using those guys. And now you have to go to Hader again, uh, maybe an inning earlier than you wanted to. So, you know, it's, you know, you're kind of, it's a catch 22 in a lot of those situations. Um, I guess in, in that case, you have to really trust the manager. It's funny because I just sent an email to all my uh, parents of the kids that I coach, just letting them know, look, us coaches, we do have a plan. We might be thinking a week down the road, you might be thinking about the kids or the players' long-term health or whatever we're, we're talking about there. So uh, you bring up a good point, and sometimes that's why it is tough to fairly criticize a manager. And, um, you know, we all like to do it at, at some point, uh, you know, some of us more than others, but um, I can see that happening. I can see that having a long-term positive effect, and, and you just hope it's not at the – uh, you know, detriment of other guys or the guys in the bullpen or, or, you know, the team as a whole, I guess. So now going kind of devil's advocate on the other side when you play that out in the other direction, because this is this is why baseball is amazing, because you can look at things in so many different ways. Josh Hader right. goes in and he pitches two innings. You can make the argument that maybe if he goes just one inning, maybe we see him be available on Sunday and things look a little bit different there. Now, I also, before I even get to like you talking about this, I just want to say I think we saw the team start to use Hader in a more conventional closers role at the beginning of the season where he was pitching just one inning in the ninth and he was pitching in back-to-back days. I don't think it's mm-hmm. a coincidence that his effectiveness had dropped a little bit. I believe that Josh Hader is at his best as a guy who can go give you multi-innings, but then have to sit for a day uh, or two and not pitch really in back-to-back games very often. So even I I asked this question with the belief that I don't really want to see Hader in back-to-back games. I want to see him more used in multi-inning and then giving it a day off. But, but all that being said, if he pitches just one inning on Saturday, or maybe even the better way to look at it is he doesn't even pitch. They keep that thing, you know, out of hand, and uh, you don't see mm-hmm. Hater at all. Then he's completely available on Sunday. So that's where I mean, it's so easy to look at every single move and, and every single moment, and not just see how it affects that day's game, but how it can affect the next day and the next day and the next day. For sure, and I think part of the decision yesterday, using here as an example, like you did, is that. Okay, we we have this game essentially in hand. We're still winning. If we win this game, we win the series. And then whatever happens Sunday is gravy. And I know again, some people don't like to hear that, but you know, winning series really—if you just keep doing that—that that does get you get you to where you want to be. Um, so maybe it plays out different if they had lost Friday's game. Maybe he is trying to win both games, and he, and he handles Hater differently. Uh, again, it, it's hard to get in the mind the mind of a council and, and maybe the staff as a whole uh, to figure out what they want to do. Uh, as far as the use of Hater. I don't want him in the traditional closers role either. I, I want him to be used at the highest leverage part of the game, you know, the toughest spot. Like they did uh, at Miller Park against the Dodgers when he came in and got Bellinger out with the bases loaded. Obviously, he ended up giving up the home run to Kike Hernandez uh, the next inning. But that, I think, is how he should be used. And I know they're probably a little leery of it because they don't feel like they have someone who can close the game out. Jeffress obviously isn't where he was last year, and Canelo's not available. Um, so as far as the back-to-back days and that kind of stuff goes, uh, you might be right. Uh, they protected him a lot last year with that. Um, perhaps he is always going to be best suited for, you know, getting five outs, seven outs, even nine outs in one game, and then having a day or two off to, to bounce back and then be that weapon again. So uh, I think in a lot of cases, you know, you saw it last year too, if council smells blood and, and they think they can get a win that day, um, you know, I agree with that philosophy because you can't really only worry about that day. Tomorrow, you might only, you know, you might only score one run. You don't need him, or you might score ten runs. And you don't need him. Um, same thing in the in again how they use him on a game to game basis. You want to bring him in with a one run lead in the seventh inning and the bases loaded because you need to shut that down. You might score five runs the next inning and not even need him for the ninth. So, I, like you said, you can break this down so many different ways and. Obviously, the Brewers have gone away from tradition in a lot of ways with their bullpen, and I think it's been a, a tough balancing act this year because of the injuries and because you know they really don't have guys that you feel 
great about going to in, in certain situations. So I think overall, and again, council is doing a terrific job. We're always going to nitpick things here or there. So, um, you know, as we go along the way, we'll see how haters use it. And to your point, he may just be most effective having, uh, you know, one day on, one day off kind of thing. I've got a ton of confidence in David Stearns. I think he's earned the trust of, of Brewers fans. That doesn't mean he's perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect general manager. I think, you know, like he was the first person to admit that last year's Jonathan Scope trade did not work out. No general manager is mm-hmm. ever going to bat a thousand. So we're not, we're not asking that of him. There's, there's always going to be that kind of fickle percentage of the fan base who's upset about the bullpen, upset that they have, haven't done this, haven't done that. You go look at a Wade Miley, you go look at a, at a Jordan Lyles and what they're doing and say, oh, look, look what they would be doing. Even a Domingo Santana, and I don't think that's a really good comparison because he wouldn't be getting the playing time in Milwaukee mm-hmm. that he's getting in Seattle. So it's, a, it's an apples to oranges uh, comparison. So all that being said, I've got faith that as if the bullpen does not get better, that they're going to go out and they're going to make moves. I don't know if they're going to get Craig Kimbrell. That might not. That might not work. But they've they've shown over the last few years, whether it was an Anthony Swarzak, a Joaquin Soria, Xavier Cedeno. I mean, they've brought in a lot of bullpen guys in trades. I feel like they're not just going to sit and let this bullpen kind of sit in this period of inconsistency. If they need to bring in a veteran arm or two that can pitch some high leverage innings, they're going to do it at some point. You just got to be patient. Do you agree or do you disagree kind of with what, everything that I just said? Well, I think for one, bullpens, as you know, are just volatile year to year. I mean, unless you have a number of completely shut down guys, which in theory the Brewers thought they were going to have again this year, but, you know, that, that's the way it works out sometimes. Things don't go as planned. Um, so with that said, I also do agree that getting arms at the deadline, especially out of the bullpen, uh, you know, that is – most common tactic that GMs are going to use, and it seems the the best way to sort of shore everything up, um, assuming the rest of your team you feel comfortable with. So there's no doubt in my mind that that'll happen, if, uh, assuming they're still in contention, and I believe they will be completely. Uh, so I think part of it, really, the first half of the year is figuring out, okay, who is reliable? Who can we go with? What is going to work with the group of guys that we have? And then what do we need to fill that gap? Uh, sometimes I think people look at a bullpen and they say, well, a bunch of pitchers thrown out there and put them in, you know, whatever situation you want, and, and they're just all kind of the same. But, um, you know, I don't believe that Stearns and Council and, and their whole, uh, you know, all their staff, I don't think they look at it that way. I think they try to create a bullpen that's going to be cohesive and that you can use them in different spots. I mean, you look at a guy like Claudio or you look at a guy like Albers, uh, maybe a better example, you're using them in very specific situations, mostly when you get ground ball against the right-hander. Uh, so I think they do look for those uh, those perfect fits, so to speak, and they'll do that as they approach the deadline, no doubt. And to your point about Stearns, I'm going to err on the side of trusting him. I think he's done an unbelievable job. I loved when he acknowledged that, look, the scope thing didn't work out. I missed that one. I messed up. I thought it was going to work. Um, you know, I love that he did that because I think you need that from the GM to really uh, be objective, not only about your players, but about yourself and about the, the rest of your staff, maybe the people that are helping you behind the scenes with that. So uh, when push comes to shove, I think we'll end up having, hopefully, a strong bullpen, whether it's they have to move Merkins out there or they have to, you know, maybe Peralta goes out there for a bit, and then they supplement those guys with an offer to at the deadline because it seems like, yeah, you only get to say a pretty penny as far as prospects goes to, go to bring in a, a reliever, but to your point, you find these guys that are only have you know half a year left on their contract. You can typically get them for for more range prospects, and you don't bat an eye at that if you think you have a chance to get to the postseason. The number one question, maybe not the yeah, I'd say the number one question I have received on my post game show here over the last week, week and a half, should Eric Thames be the everyday first baseman? My answer has been he deserves more playing time. But the one thing the Brewers have been very good at is putting him in position to be successful, whether it's using the righty-lefty stuff and, and whatever it might be. So I'm not, I'm not just pulling off the Band-Aid and saying Eric Thames is the everyday first baseman, but he clearly has earned more playing time at the very least, uh, a righty-lefty platoon. Uh, we've seen Yasmani Grandal go over to, uh, to first base for, for a game. 
Jesus Aguilar is he's lost right now, I, and I hate to say mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. a lot of people say, you know, look at what he did post All Star break last year. And I'll admit that post All Star break last year was nothing compared to what he did in pre All Star break last year. But at least after the All Star break last year, he was hitting the ball hard. He was hitting home runs. He was driving in runs. Like, this is a this is a different guy than even post All Star break Jesus Aguilar of last year. What if you're making all the calls at this point? What are you doing over at first base? I do think right now it's just about a strict platoon. Um, I don't know that anybody trusts Thames necessarily to hit lefties on a consistent basis. So that's your chance to get Aguilar his at bats. But against right-handers, I, I don't see any reason Thames shouldn't be over there at this point. Uh, to your to what you said, he's been productive. He's shown he can be productive over long periods of time in the past. Uh, and I agree 100% that Aguilar just looks lost. I mean, he's taking pitches that are really mistakes by pitchers down the middle of the plate. He did that a couple times today, and then he's you know flailing helplessly at, at pitches not even close. Uh, and I think you can start to see it on his body language, his face. I mean, he's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. You'll still see the smile here or there. But it's really hard to get out of that uh, that type of slump that he's in. I know people are concerned about Travis Shaw, too, but his swing still looks fine. It seems like maybe his timing is off. He's a little bit poor pitch selection. Everything about Aguilar at the plate looks looks pretty bad right now. And they pretty much have to, to ride it out as far as him being on the team because if I'm not mistaken and not looking, he has no options left. So all they could do was put him on waivers, and somebody would claim him, and he yeah. would get a chance elsewhere. So unless you're willing to get rid of that depth and, and just quit on him at this point, he's going to be on the 25-man roster, and you've got to get him at bats to make sure he does get a chance to get out of it and stay fresh. I think you really have to be smarter about where you're putting him in the lineup. I know some people don't think lineup construction matters at all. I mean, I disagree when you're putting arguably your worst hitter right now in the four spot, which to many people's minds is the second most important position. So maybe you got to be a little smart with that. Find ways to, to get him extremely ideal matchups. Maybe you do put Grandal over at first a few more times when uh, they got a lefty on the mound. And, you know, when push comes to shove, as, as the year goes on, if he's still not producing and maybe someone like Keston Hira is, you got some flexibility with positions. I mean, you can come up and play second base and you move Shaw to first. Uh, you know, maybe Perez gets time at first because he's been hitting lefties pretty well and has throughout his career. Uh, so I don't think you, you go, you know, full bore as far as changing things up right now, other than I would say it's pretty much a strict platoon at first base. Uh, but as we go on, you know, into May, and especially as you get closer to June, you know, you might start thinking about what are some other options here, especially against left-handers where, where we can do more damage. Because without Aguilar hitting uh, from the right side against lefties, I think they're going to have a, a lot of trouble there because of they're being so lefty-dependent in the lineup. Did Tim Muma just uh, put out the idea of Ernan Perez playing more? Hey, I, against lefties, <laughs> and if he's hitting for power, it's all good. He's not going to have the on-base percentage I want, but I don't. I don't hate the guy. Let's not. Let's not throw that out there at all. <laughs> oh, that, that. Have you seen? Have you seen Hasey's regular bat lately? Yes. I will take Aaron on Perez ten out of ten times right now. Still going to give a better bat than Aguilar has right now. I think I said this on this podcast when Mustakis resigned. If I didn't say it, I thought it, and people just have to believe me. I thought the Mustakis signing was more of an insurance policy at first base than it was him coming in to shore up second and third because of everything you just said. The the ability to take Shaw, who's played some first, and move him over to first and have Moustakas at third, or even put Moustakas at first. I mean, they put him at second. I'm sure they'd be okay sure. putting him over at first. But with I didn't expect Aguilar to be doing what he's doing now, but I, I thought internally I thought to myself, if he's got a second half, if he plays – the way he did post All Star break last year, is he still your everyday guy, or do you maybe you know futz around with some things? Never did I think we'd see what we're seeing right now, but the point remains the same. I thought Mustakis was your insurance at first base. I think that was part of it because I think it did just create some more flexibility again, which you know you've seen many major league teams now. It's a big focus, um, partly because they have the extra pitcher in the bullpen. But, uh, I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and again, you can, like you said, move Shaw to first, then Moustakis goes to third. Uh, maybe it was also a little bit insurance in case Thames couldn't do anything because another lefty bat, or maybe due to roster construction, you know, possibly they could have tried to trade him. 
Uh, there are lots of different things to go into it. But I think Stearns, uh, as he has done in the past, he saw an opportunity. It's a solid ball player. Feels comfortable here. One-year deals are never really bad uh, at all. So uh, it seemed to fit for everybody. And, and as you said, I don't think anybody necessarily expected Aguilar to be this poor. On the flip side, I don't know if many people saw Moustakis as necessarily being uh, you know, a key part of the, of the lineup. Most, most people thought he'd be hitting sixth, maybe seventh. Uh, but he's been really important to this team. Uh, his average isn't great, but his on-base percentage of slugging has been terrific. And I think you saw the little bit when he was out of the lineup with that uh, little injury he had just for a handful of games. Uh, that did hurt. He doesn't give you good at-bats versus righties versus lefties. Uh, so he has been an important part. In, and to your point, he might become even more valuable depending on how things shake out at first base or, or whatever direction they end up going with, with their infield. Uh, so I, I would also admit when they signed, I was kind of like, oh, you know, that's nice. Not not anything great or flashy, but it, always adding talent. It's never a bad thing to add some talent. Uh, but he's he's definitely been a, an important piece for for the offense so far. And um, you know, again, going forward, he might be just as valuable as some of the other guys we thought that would contribute, especially a like an Aguilar or a Shaw. So uh, it's nice to have him back, and and uh, it does give them that flexibility they need. Uh, throughout the course of a 162-game season. Last thing for you, and this isn't really Brewers-specific, but its I've just kind of been thinking about it, so I'm going to throw it at you. So the way the schedule is, and I don't know if the schedule is always like this or not, but I'm noticing it more this year. Uh, they had the deal with the Dodgers where they played their only two series of the year basically within a week of each other, and now you're done with the Dodgers. They've got that with the Mets. The Mets are going to be coming into Miller Park this weekend. You'll be done with the Mets. Uh, you'll have that with the Phillies later in the month. They're going to come in uh, mid-May, and then, or actually they're going to go to Philly mid-May, and then the Phillies come back to Miller Park. Do you like the... I know they're not back-to-back, but do you like the very close proximity-wise series against these National League opponents that you only play the home-and-home against and then you don't see them again for the rest of the year? Or would you rather it be a situation where you space things out a bit? I definitely prefer it spaced out. Me too. Uh, just, yeah, just in part because, as you say, you're playing teams so closely together like that. I don't know that you're getting a, a good feel for what these teams really are. Uh, you know, you, you face a team like the Dodgers seven times in the span of, you know, a couple weeks uh, that they might be a different team in July or the Brewers might be a different team in July. Uh, on top of that, like you said, okay, you're done with the Dodgers. Now you don't even see them or, or come close to facing them until possibly the postseason. Uh, it, it does strike me as a bit odd. I mean, I'm sure it's happened in the past with a team here or there where uh, they finish up with them so early in the season. Uh, but with that unbalanced schedule that they have, which I, I, I still prefer if they're going to give division winners you know, a little bit of, a, of an extra bonus for winning their division. I, I, I like the unbalanced schedule. Uh, but it strikes me as to seem like you should make sure you're playing a lot of those division games, you know, throughout the course of the year. So maybe they're stacked early and stacked late. And in the middle, maybe you're trying to figure out some of those, uh, you know, other divisions. Obviously, they played the Cardinals plenty so far earlier this year. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's something you'll be missing as you get later into the year, or even the middle part of the year, when you don't have to face some of those teams. And, and like I, you know, there's so much that goes into creating the schedule. I can't imagine, you know, everything they got to worry about from, you know, the time zones and making sure teams aren't playing, you know, more than 20 some games in a row and they're not on the road for three weeks and all that stuff. But uh, it seems like you should be able to space out those those uh, other teams uh, from the other divisions to, to make sure that you're seeing them maybe early in the year and then late or middle of the year and late or you know something to make sure that uh, you're kind of mixing it up a little bit and, and you don't get. Uh, seven games in, in two weeks and then never see the team again. That, that does seem a bit odd, and I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things this year, and, and maybe it doesn't matter in the long run, but uh, as you said, I, I, I prefer that they spread those things out a little bit. Yeah, I I think what if the Brewers and the Dodgers are the two best teams in baseball this year, and they're battling for the top spot in the National League, and <laughs> They don't. They haven't seen each other since since April. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I yeah, I don't like the proc. You know, you. I, I don't have a problem with the like. I don't like as many games as they've had against St. Louis. What they've played three series. I don't have a problem if you do uh, 
pretty close proximity a couple series you know you play st louis one weekend at home and then you play at st louis the next weekend at their place that that's fine and if they're saying you know what let's get you the feel of playing a team seven times over the course of a week and a half to kind of replicate a a postseason series if you want to do all that that's fine but do that just with divisional teams there there's no reason to be playing the out of division teams that close to each other well, now you played the Cardinals, what, 10 times, and you haven't played the Pirates yet in your division? Like, yeah. that, again, seems a little off to me. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it's happened before. I'm sure it'll happen again, and maybe it's just an anomaly this time around. But, yeah, I, it's, there's so many games, and there's so much time over the course of a season. It just seems like there it should be a better way to spread that out. And, you know, maybe in the end it helps the Brewers. You never really know, uh, you know, depending on when you play those teams. But, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate you don't get to play the Dodgers again unless you meet them in the playoffs. Because I remember last year, at the end of the year, uh, they had that big series in L.A., and it felt like a playoff series. Well, you're not going to get that now unless you actually get to the postseason and, and match up with them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tim, great stuff. Encourage people to uh, find you on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma. You're part of the staff uh, at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Really appreciate you taking some time with us. Awesome, Matt. Always love to be with you, and uh, go Cougs. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome in the uh, broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. It is uh, Greg Young. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr., Jr. being uh, shortened. So Greg Young Jr. is the uh, Twitter handle. Greg, always appreciate you taking some time. How are you? Hey, man. How are you, man? Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. The uh, Quite the game. We're talking on uh, Sunday, and uh, you guys had quite the win on Sunday afternoon, getting a 2-1 win against Potomac in, uh, in walk-off fashion. Take me through uh, the end of that game and how it finished off. Yeah, so it wasn't uh, exactly like an offensive explosion that, that led to uh, the, the, the final run coming across, although they did take a big hit from Pat McInerney to, to get it, but started with uh, Rob Henry being hit, oh, I'm sorry, Tristan Lutz being hit by a pitch. Uh, it looked a little bit shaken up when it first occurred, but he eventually, I think, was able to, to get through the pain and was able to stay out there. Um, and then uh, we had a line out to left from Peyton Henry. Uh, then it was uh, back-to-back walks, Rob Henry and then Ryan Aguilar. And uh, Potomac had a, a pretty good reliever on the mound. The guy had an ERA less than one coming in over, I think, six or seven games. He had thrown well, but uh, just didn't have the control there. And then base was loaded, one out. Uh, Pat McInerney came up, worked his way to a 3-2 count. I think it was like an eight-pitch at that. Final pitch, he uh, on the 3-2, um, ended up sending a single to center. It was a kind of a low liner that almost hung, hung up enough for the center fielder to catch it. The outfield was in, and so was the infield. So at first, it looked like Upshaw, the center fielder for Potomac, did catch it, but um, the, the umpires said that he trapped it, and uh, Lutz scored, and, and that was it. It was pretty crazy, though, because for McInerney, he just got added back to the roster. I mean, he was with us at the end of last season and, and struggled, but he was added on uh, on Thursday for this series, and this, we had a short three-game homestand that just wrapped up. And uh, he ended up, I think it was six hits in the uh, in the series. He had a two-run home run yesterday. His first game, he had three hits. He had three hits the first night with three runs. First Budcast had scored three runs in a game this season. Uh, then two hits last night, including the two-run home run. And then today, as we talked here on Sunday, he gets the game winner. So one hit in the game. And just a tremendous start for him. And, and uh, really good to see because... He's been working hard, and I know that the way that this season went for him last year was kind of wearing on him, but good to see him back, and then just to have a series like this is incredible. You look at the pitching in this game, and obviously when you give up just one run, it's going to be uh, yeah. pretty solid performances, but three guys who are all putting up pretty good numbers right now. I know a number of Brewers fans are pretty excited about uh, Drew Rasmussen, then uh, Matt Smith went out there, four no-hit innings. Uh, you had Rodrigo Benoit who ends up getting the win, two no-hit innings. That's a heck of a performance from uh, three separate guys. Yeah, absolutely. And then with Rasmussen, he gave up you know pretty much everything in the first three. And he's a guy who hasn't given up anything really at all to this point. Granted, this was just his fourth start as a pro and his third with us. But um, you know he is he is incredible. His fastball is just it's so filthy and just overpowering. Um, it, 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 his stuff is is tremendous. But uh, yeah, he gave up three hits. Um, the one run, the, the run though, it came in. I think it was the second or third inning. It was the third inning when he was out there, and uh, it was an infield hit the third from the, the number nine hitter, uh, center fielder Upshaw. So he gets on, 
And then Potomac put a hit and run on. So he goes after Rasmussen was trying to pick him off at first and had some pretty good throws. He's already picked off one with us. He did that in his first start here, but um, came close a couple of times, but Upshot stayed on. And then eventually they put a hit and run on. So he's gone and a hit ball gets hit the right center, ends up being a double and, and he ends up scoring all the way from first. So, you know, it just it took the, the perfect set of, you know, I guess uh, sequences there and plays on their side to get that across. Ended up being the only run, like you said, that the pitching was incredible. Um, you know, after uh, Smith took over, they didn't get anything. I mean, he, he ended up going through four no-hit innings. Perfect. He walked one, but right after that, he got a 3-6-3 double play turned. Uh, and then Rodrigo Benoit came in. And, you know, Benoit, is, yeah, the, the numbers for him have been tremendous. He's leading this league in saves. Granted, this was a non-save chance, but leading this league in saves right now, and he's, he's tied for the league-leading games. So it's been a great year for him. And he's not getting, I think, strikeout numbers like we saw at the end of last year from him, but really effective stuff, not giving up hits at all. And, uh, yeah, the pitching today was just phenomenal. I think we make too much sometimes of top 30 rankings, especially when there's probably not that much of a difference between a guy who is the number 15-ranked prospect in organization and number 35 or number 40 if the list extended uh, beyond 30. But that being said, not a ton of top 30 guys on this roster. Do you kind of like that in the sense that it's an opportunity for some under-the-radar guys to open up some eyes? Yeah, absolutely. I think it also kind of takes the pressure off, in a sense, I think for for. Well, I mean, the, the guys who are on that list, maybe they still feel it a little bit, but, um, you know, just, I think for the team overall, um, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, they, they, the guys tend to lean on those, those big guys, your top five guys, top 10 guys, whatever it might be. But now that there's sort of most of them kind of on an even playing field, maybe, I guess, it, I think it, it helps with the, the overall mood and the way that the, the team gels and in comes together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is. There's only three, you know, depending on what list you look at. Um, you know, in 2017, I think we had more than half this team was in a top 30 list with somebody. Um, and then last year's team, there were a few too. But, you know, this year, it's really just the three. Um, as far as, you know, the Baseball America list goes, it's, it's you know, Tristan Lutz and Peyton Henry and Mario Feliciano. You know, it's funny, too, because they actually hit in the in kind of in the, the three, four, and five in the lineup most nights, or pretty much every night until today. Feliciano had his uh, first day off of the season today. Uh, Peyton Henry was out, I think, a couple days ago. Lutz had a day off a couple days ago, too. So, um, and they've been in there just just about every day, and, and and pretty much hitting in that order three, four, and five in the lineup. And um, you know, it's Peyton Henry's been hot. Mario Feliciano's been great. I think Lutz is beginning to get it together. He had a home run today, just a, a rocket to left that he hit over the tall ball here. So uh, they're getting it going. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's a good way, you know, for the guys to kind of um, you know be a little more scrappy, I guess, and, and kind of be creative with the way that they go about and win and, and the way that they work together. You mentioned Tristan Lutz, and he does hit a home run today, which is uh, good to see. Has been struggling a bit. He's got a sub-200 average. Uh, this guy is a number four prospect in the organization, according to uh, MLB Pipeline. Uh, good to see. It's, and you look at what he's done recently. It seems like the bat is starting to come alive a little bit right now. Is this more a case of anything else, of just kind of a slow start? Yeah, I think that's all it is. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's grinding every day, working hard every day. Um, you know, you, you see his swings in BP, and you know he's he's making solid contact, uh, hitting bombs. I mean, it, 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 the kid is incredibly strong. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, I think it's just a matter of catching up to this league a little bit. Um, you know, and, and and I was telling someone the other day that you know for some guys that's just the way it goes. You know, one guy starts hot, the other guy doesn't, and then eventually it all evens out in the end. So, um, but you know, they're they're sticking with him in that number three spot, um, keeping him out there every day. He, he's been playing a great outfield. Uh, so, you know, and, and at least at, at our ballpark, it's, it's tough to do sometimes because it is a big yard and, and center field. There's a lot of room to cover and the ball rarely ever gets out here. It just doesn't carry well to center. So, uh, or at least the center field, not necessarily right and left at the center field. So you end up getting a lot more action. I think out there with ball staying in the yard and having to get to him. And he's done a great job of that. So just, uh, you know, slow start hanging there and, you know, you hit a lot of, a lot of line drives and eventually the, the numbers are going to catch up and, and turn around. I guess it's a good problem to have. I don't even know if you would put it under the category of problem, but uh, both Peyton Henry and Mario Feliciano are both catchers. You've already alluded to the fact that they're both in the lineup most days. The box scores I've seen, uh, I see one guy catching and one guy uh, as the DH. Is that pretty much what they're doing? Has it been a pretty even split in terms of catching versus uh, DHing? What are they doing right now with these guys? It is, yeah. It's been a 50-50 split for the most part. Um, you know, basically Henry catches and then Feliciano's the DH and then the next day they flip. 
Um, and uh, it's worked out pretty good, I think, you know, and, and it's also that they're getting back to back in the lineup too. So they go four and five most days, depending on how the lineup is, is structured. If Lutz is out, can they move up? So Henry might hit third and Feliciano hits fourth, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's worked out well. Um, you know, I, a lot of folks here locally, uh, reporters and what have you were asking manager Ayrault about that before the season started, you know, how do you mix in those two and make sure that they get the attacks that they need considering that they play the same position, um, a vital one at that, uh, still get the, the work that they need to behind the plate on top of, uh, or behind the plate on top of at the plate when they're hitting. And, you know, I think that, that even split has, uh, done well to, to help take the workload. You know, you're not having to catch back to back nights and, and that kind of thing. But I think they both understand what the, what, what was called upon here, um, what, what they need to do. And, uh, manager Ayrault is a former catcher who's had to deal with situations like that as a player and then certainly as a manager with how to split things up. So he's definitely accustomed to, to how to, to share the responsibility and make sure that they both get the work that they need to. Um, but they're, they're both fine with it. I think, you know, Peyton Henry talked about it a lot before the season and it, even here as of late, you know, it's just, it's the way that it's going to be. And it's a way also to, um, you know, kind of not compete with one another, but push one another, you know, they, they've both been swinging to that extremely well. So, um, it's not affecting them in that end, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an even split, and, and for the most part, that's what it would be anyway. You know, you rarely see catchers go more than two games in a row, at least at this level. So the, that 50-50 split, I think, is, is the best way to do it. All right, dorky baseball question here. If there's a situation where the guy who's catching gets injured, would the plan probably be to bring in an emergency catcher, or would the plan be to uh, absolve the DH and have the uh, pitcher hit? That's interesting. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, and it's only the two right now. So, um, you know, Nathan Rodriguez is with the club, but not on the active roster. But, um, so he would be technically the third, I guess, if maybe something happened, they would need to do that. But, um, obviously wouldn't be able to come into a game if he's not, you know, on the active roster. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, and, and again, since there isn't that third, then that would really probably be your, your only option at that point, which would be interesting because, uh, we have Clayton Andrews who just got here, and when I was looking up the numbers on him before, you know, he arrived with us, and at the end of last season when he was with Wisconsin, he was a pretty good hitter. I mean, it, he was when he was at Long Beach State. So, I mean, maybe if you have to use a pitcher, maybe there are a couple of guys in there, including him, that could swing it a little bit. It'd be fun. Yeah, it would be. That's uh, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw there was only two catchers on the roster, but that's the way I, I think about things. I guess I always go to, uh, well, <laughs> what if this that's goes wrong? Not. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll, I'll have to ask uh, ask Joe about that just to see what his thoughts are. I'm sure he's thought about that, absolutely. Uh, before we get you out of here, I, we've talked over the last couple of years and the whole process of uh, the Major League organization buying the club, and I know there's probably nothing really different this year compared to where we talked about it last year, but I do think there's a lot of Brewers fans who are kind of interested in the fact that the Brewers do own the club. Can you just talk to me a little bit about what that process has been like and maybe as you've gone farther into it, really kind of the, the two operations merging even more together, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. And, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 uh, I think for them, and, and you see it, I think, the longer that we get into this, that, um, you know, it was, it was a move to help establish you know, a, a, a really solid training facility field, number one, you know, the, the actual surface here and, and what have you, um, but a training facility for their players, you know, and in, in, in a place, I guess, a part of the country where uh, maybe it's a bit easier, you know, for guys in the off season to get to, depending on where they live. Um, but uh, they've invested uh, in the clubhouse this season as far as uh, some changes in there, so a better workout facility for the players. Um it, it, that, that has been expanded. Um, it, the overall operations, as far as some of the analytical stuff, has been uh, improved here, um, not just in the clubhouse, but with the stadium itself. But a lot of teams are doing that too. So maybe that would have been the, the next step anyway, without the uh, the, the actual um, purchase of the ball club. But you know, it's 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 a way to to invest in um, you know in, in in the minor league facility itself just in the players, you know, as well, and making this experience here at this level the best that it can be, and, um, you know, to help uh, give them a place to train and grow and develop in their careers and, and use this as in a launching pad, you know, to what is next, whether it, whether it be to double-A or triple-A or to the big leagues, you know, this is, I think, a good place to, to really get in some good quality work at a, at a facility that they trust 
and that they can control and, um, you know, and make better for their guys, you know, day in and day out. And I would say too, that, um, you know, on, on the business end with us, it, it's been a commitment more, um, in the office on, uh, getting folks involved, you know, more and more in, in our community, whether it be getting people here in the stands to come to games, which creates a better atmosphere for the players to play in front of, um, and a good play, a good way for them to learn how to interact with people on a more personal basis. But, um, you know, they, they have made some investment on that side too, um, helping us out with securing, you know, new, cor- uh, new corporate sponsorship deals and, and what have you here. That's not to pull back the curtain too much, but, um, there has been a little bit of an investment on that side, but it mostly I think has been on the player development side. And, you know, I, I think that that was the, the number one goal when they decided to, to make the purchase. You and I were talking a little bit off air before we started, you know, before I pressed the record button here, and you told me something that I think is really notable in terms of player development. And just this could take a second to ask the question so people can understand. Uh, in minor league baseball, when you are located within a certain mileage of another minor league baseball team, uh, you are allowed to, as opposed to staying in hotels, you can make it commuter trips where you bus to and from uh, that other location each day. And and for those of us who have worked in minor league baseball, that is the worst thing in the world, these commuter trips where you're getting on a bus uh, to go to the game and come back, and it's knocking out the entire day. And the, from a baseball standpoint, it takes it out of players, and it limits the ability for player development and to work on things because you're just so much of the day is gone being spent on a bus. You know, you're getting home, and just hours later, it feels like you're back on a bus going. You told me a little bit ago that the commuter trips are gone. And that costs money. There is an expense that goes along with it, and it is a it's a somewhat substantial uh, cost when you think of all those hotel rooms that are not being that are now being sp- you know money's being spent on. I-, I think it says a lot that commuter trips are being gone, and that that to me that's a big deal in terms of player development. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's part of you know the the idea and making it better for the guys. You know, it's, it's a way of looking out for the players for their safety, you know, and for their health too, because those trips. You know, it, it's it's one thing that it's you know maybe a two hour one way and a two hour back on the same day, but you know it's it's being cold on the bus, getting hot to the game, and then cooling down to get back on the bus and doing it again over and over and over again. And you know if you can avoid having to put the players through that, you know they're better for it. So um, you know, and, and the cost I think depending on the the situation with each city, you know it's it's it, it can be a bit expensive. But in, I think in this particular case, being that it, the cities that it involves with, it's uh, Dayville and Kinston. I think that the deals that we have with the hotels and, and, and those teams have already negotiated with the hotels too, um, that, that helps a little bit to keep those costs down. So um, it, it, it is obviously more because we are going back and forth, but it's better for the guys. Um, you know, It's better for what they're able to do on the field. And in the long run, it's better for overall player evaluation too because you get a truer sense with them rested and taken care of a bit more. Um, and they certainly deserve it. You know, these guys, they go through a lot just to get out there every single day. They give them that one extra little thing. And it's a big thing, like you said. Um, you know, it, it helps a lot in the long run, and it helps to evaluate these guys and get them to learn uh, properly and, and for them to be able to advance, you know, at the right time and in the right way. All right, so folks want to check out your broadcast, whether it's just the audio version or uh, the video streaming version. Tell people how they can uh, check out the Mudcats. Yeah, so uh, we broadcast just like any other team uh, online through our website, carolinamudcats.com. That's through TuneIn Radio. Uh, you could also, I found out recently, ask your smart speaker to pull up the Mudcats if you want. You could do that by pulling up uh, our radio station. So the times when we're on, you just ask your smart speaker to, to play uh, our station here. We're on uh, 98.5 FM, WDWG, and there it is. So that's the way I like to listen to radio, at least when I'm at home. So it works out pretty good. That's one way to do it. You can always watch MILB.TV. So we do stream home games, and we will be streaming some of the road games uh, through the other teams' uh, broadcasts here in Carolina League, too. So, yeah, it's a good way to follow the team that way. Awesome. He is the uh, broadcaster and the director of media relations for the Carolina Mudcats. He is Greg Young. Follow him on Twitter at Greg Young JR. Greg, I always appreciate you taking some time, and uh, we'll catch up again here another month, month and a half or so. Yeah, Matt, thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. 
That's Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. As we start to wrap up this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast taking a look at what's going to be coming up this week. Brewers open up a four-game series against the Colorado Rockies on Monday, and uh, that's going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. All of those games are scheduled to start at 640, and then a day game coming up on Thursday, an early day game coming up on Thursday. That's going to be a 12-10 first pitch at Miller Park on Thursday. So uh, you can hear, reminder for you, you can generally hear the games on WTMJ, uh, but when the Brewers and the Bucks are playing at the same time as the Bucks go through their playoff run, the Brewers game is going to be bumped over to 94.5 ESPN-FM. That includes my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, in past years when 94.5 was not ESPN, when it was a country station or something else. They put the network broadcast on the air, and then when it was over, that was it for baseball coverage. Well, now uh, that uh, we've had some changes at uh, WTMJ, we have new ownership with Good Karma Brands, which has been uh, pretty awesome, to be perfectly honest with you, if you care about things like that. Uh, it, we uh, Over at ESPN now, when we have the Brewers games, we have Brewers Extra Innings, the post-game show, which has made me a very, very happy person. So I'm glad to be able to do the post-game show, uh, no matter uh, whether the games are on WTMJ or whether they're on 94.5 ESPN. So four-game series against the Rockies, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, wrapping it up with a day game on Thursday, and then a weekend series coming up Friday against the Mets. They just saw the Mets in New York for a three-game weekend series. Now they host the Mets for a three-game weekend series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is part of an extended homestand for the Brewers. After the Mets roll out of town, the Washington Nationals will uh, come into uh, Miller Park for a three-game series next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So uh, they're going to play without an off day now until Thursday the 9th. May 9th is going to be the next off day for this club. All right, my thanks to my uh, two guests this week uh, as we had uh, Tim Muma on and we also had uh, Greg Young on. Appreciate those guys. Appreciate you for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.